Terry, would you open us up in prayer this evening? Amen. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. Good to see you tonight, church. Glad you are here. I'd like to read to you a letter uh, that I was supposed to read Sunday and completely forgot. It is from one of the missionaries that was here. Brother Victor Rouse and his wife were here at the bio conference a couple weeks ago, and they sent a letter to uh, Brother John Yingling, and it mentioned our church. So I wanted to share with you because many of you had a part in the meals that took place for bio and, and welcoming our guests And it said, Dear Brother Yingling, there's no doubt that the Biomissions Conference was a blessing and help. The messages were challenging and insightful. The sessions with Brother Don Mingo provoked the thinking and outlook on hurting or damaged missionaries and their needs. So Robin and I want to give you, the directors, the staff, Pastor Campbell, and the kind folks at Faith Baptist Church a big thank you. We appreciate your care for us, your interest in the ministry God has given us, and labor in helping us help others. The fellowship with our missionaries was delightful. May God continue to guide you all and empower you with what you need to do to fulfill your purpose in making the gospel move marvelously toward the mark of salvation for all. Yours for his sake, Victor and Robin Rouse. And so we thank the Lord for that. It's good testimony for our church. And I, uh, I appreciate Brother Rouse and his, uh, his ministry. Um, a couple of announcements, especially for this coming, uh, this weekend. Ladies that are going on the island trip, um, I just wanted to be clear because I made this announcement earlier and I just want to make sure that everybody knows. If you are planning on riding the van, we need you to mark that sign-up sheet tonight, van. If you only signed up with your name, we're just assuming you're driving or you're carpooling with someone. So if you'd like to ride the van, please mark on the list, van, uh, because if we don't have 
uh, if, if we have less than we need, we'll take a smaller vehicle. But if you'd let us know that tonight, um, the reason I'm saying all that, let me tell you what happened. I just have confess your faults one to another, right? James 5. Our van got hit several weeks ago. We had the work done to repair it, but we have to have some lettering done on the van. And so Daniel and I worked it out to take the van tomorrow to the place to get it lettered. And it dawned on me late this afternoon, the ladies have to have that van Friday night. And so if we don't have uh, over seven ladies going to ride that van, then we're going to take that to the lettering place tomorrow. But if we need that van for Friday night, we'll take the van next week. So that's why I'm just asking if you're going and if you're riding the van Friday afternoon. They're leaving, by the way, at 4.30 in the afternoon. They're leaving the church here at 4.30. And if you'd like to ride the van, you're welcome to. It'll hold 15. So sign up. I think right now there's only about five that have that four or five that have signed up for the van. But if you'd like to ride in the van and carpool and save your gas money, you're welcome to do that, all right? But tonight's the last night to do that. I should have said that too. So that's Friday, ladies, leaving at 4.30. Saturday, we're hosting the Surviving the Holidays seminar uh, in our fellowship room at uh, 9.30 in the morning. And so if you, um, if you know of someone that might be interested in that, it's still not too late. We pre-order the books and so if you know of someone that might be interested in that, please let us know, and we're glad to, uh, we're glad to uh, uh, give them all the information we can to get them here. And then please don't forget our Trunk or Treat outreach, if you would. There's um, a lot of candy has already started coming in. I'm grateful for it. And if you'd like to park a car, uh, we'd like you to park a car. So you can sign up out there at the information table right over here behind that wall, and that will be great. Looking forward to tonight's Bible study. We're continuing in our study with Samson. Last week, we started looking at the stories of Samson and Delilah, and tonight we'll wrap that up, um, the third and final part that leads to his capture by the Philistines, and you're familiar with that story, but their, their uh, relationship was a series of things, and we'll look at the third part of that tonight. So I hope you brought your Bibles, and uh, maybe when we shake hands here in a moment, you can pick up your worksheets and, and a prayer bulletin if you didn't get one. We've got several that we've added this week and updates coming so please get one of those for our prayer time. All right? Would you stand together? We're going to sing one more song. Brother Jeff's coming to lead that. Turn to page number 404. Page number 404. Let's sing that first verse.
Well, let's start tonight with our prayer bulletin. Would you find that? I hope you have one. We've got several um, things to add to it and also some updates to share with you. That first column, we have these folks who we're praying for that they'll be saved, um, and it's a growing list. Um, if you know of any updates that need to be made on that column, maybe uh, someone that you know that you have on there has been saved or perhaps they've passed away. We hope not, certainly hope not, um, but we've taken some off recently that have died, as far as we know, without accepting Christ, and that's heartbreaking to do that, um, but help us keep that updated if you would. In that second column, um, we have a couple. One we've added and then one we're updating. Um, You'll notice just a few names down. You see the name Tina Taylor. Tina is uh, the daughter of Clint and Ruth Taylor. She's been on our prayer list twice before. In uh, in 2014, uh, she was was found to have a brain tumor. So they operated and uh, they did chemotherapy. That came back about five years later, and they did a second surgery, more chemo and added radiation that time, and um, they found recently that that tumor is back, and it's a very slow-growing tumor. I was talking to Ruth and Clint today. Um, It's a slow-growing tumor, so they're monitoring it right now, and um, they're going to do another MRI in April, so you can see how slow-growing that must be for them to wait that long. Um, it's not causing her any physical issues right now, but they're going to be watching that and treating it in the meantime, they said, with medication. So pray for Tina, if you would. More immediately, uh, Tina has to have oral surgery tomorrow. She lives down in Georgia, and Clint and Ruth are down there with her, and they ask that we pray for that as well. But um, their priority request is about this tumor. And uh, Tina is... uh, She's a Christian lady. In fact, they were talking about how much closer she's drawn to the Lord during all this nine years uh, of this process process that keeps going on. So pray for Tina. Pray for Clint and Ruth, too, as they minister and help their daughter. Uh, They're down there really to help her with getting through this oral surgery tomorrow. And so I know they will appreciate you praying for them. And then on our prayer list, just a few few, uh, names down. You see the name Dale Dale Sigler. Uh, this is a lady. This is, some of you know, um, Clint and Ruth's daughter, uh, Amber. Dale is Amber's mother-in-law, and we, we, she's been on here for quite a while. She has stage 4 cancer, uh, stage 4 breast cancer, and she's been on chemotherapy for quite a while. She fractured a hip, and in order to replace it, they put a couple of screws in but they also had to put a drain in, and they're not going to be doing any chemotherapy as long as that drain is at that surgical site. So they've stopped her, they've stopped her uh, uh, chemotherapy, and so please continue to pray, for, uh, to pray for Dale. You can see on there that the cancer is in her bones, her lungs, her liver, and I know that the family appreciates us keeping her on this list and you praying for her if you would. So pray for Dale and her family. And I know that Amber and her husband, Ryan, will, will appreciate that. On the uh, top of the next column, we've added Brenda Dockery on there. Many of you know Brenda. She sits right back here in the area that the children are sitting in. Uh, she's had a hard time lately. She got a pretty bad case of the shingles. 
And following that, and I hope I pronounced this uh, properly, she's dealing with post-herpetic neuralgia. And I, I think that's a result of the shingles that she's been having, but she sure could use your prayer. She's been in a lot of discomfort lately, and so we want to continue praying for uh, praying for her. And then Bill Beck, I mentioned to you before about the radiation colitis that he's dealing with. Um, and so they're going to be doing a colonoscopy here soon on the 20th. So on Friday, um, they're hoping that his cancer has not returned. And so please continue praying for Bill and his wife, Jill. I know they will appreciate, uh, they'll appreciate that as well. Brent Clay has been on our, uh, he's been on our uh, list for a while. Uh, this is uh, the son-in-law of some friends of Ann John's who, who's been attending the last few months. And Brent is having a heart cath also on this Friday. He's been on here for a while. He's got some pretty severe heart issues. And I don't know what they're attempting to do as a result of this heart cath on, on Friday. I don't know what the procedure will entail to correct any problems they have. But please continue praying for Brent, if you would. Um, also, uh, we've audit, or we've uh, edited on here about... Um, Caleb Whaley. Caleb is the nephew, I believe, of Brent, uh, of uh, June McDonald, rather, and um, he was transferred down to the Shepherd Center in Atlanta. He was in a terrible auto accident, and um, I, don't, I think at first they didn't even know if he was going to survive or not. Uh, that particular center down there deals specifically with brain and spinal injuries, and so Caleb is uh, coming along. He started rehab. He's speaking some. He's recognizing people, and that's miles from where he was initially following that accident. So please continue to pray for Caleb Whaley. Um, I know that they will appreciate that. And then also Maddie Turley. Um, some of you know Mark Turley. He's done he's done a lot of excavation work and uh, for people and uh, and digging and things. His 17 year old daughter Maddie uh, has dealt with health health issues her whole life. Um, Believe it or not, she's a professional drag racer at 17 years old, and um, she's got a professional sponsor and everything. And that girl, she's about four foot nothing, and there's not a whole lot to her, but she drives. I said she drives like her hair's, her hair's on fire, Mark, and, uh, and he laughed. He said, I know. Maddie's dealing with another issue lately. The, the calcium is building up on her brain. It's a calcification, and thankfully... Uh, she has been invited to come to the Children's Hospital in Cincinnati, which is a branch. They have a branch there from MD Anderson. So she's going to about the top doctor in the country that she can that deals with this particular issue. They're traveling. The Turleys, uh, Mark and Kanitha, his wife, and Maddie are leaving tomorrow, and they'll drive up to Cincinnati for her appointments and probable testing on Friday. And so if you would mark that in, on your schedule, she's going to be dealing with some pretty significant um, tests and Mark was talking with me today and and uh, his daughter as you might expect she's kind of nervous about this and I would be too if there was something on my brain and that's a pretty serious issue for anyone but to be on the shoulders of a 17 year old and so I just I reminded I reminded brother Mark today of something that David Cross used to say when he was dealing with his cancer he he looked at it like God chose him to deal with this for some reason and he could have chose someone else, but he chose David Cross. And I told, I told Brother Mark today, I said, you know, I said, for some reason, God has chosen Maddie for this. Might be coming across who she knows, 
uh, through her racing, she's had an incredible opportunity to share her testimony, uh, testimony for Christ. And uh, this may just be another avenue for that. We don't know. But I really would appreciate your prayers for the Turley family, the whole family. They will... Uh, they'll be traveling tomorrow, and then I, I may be coming home Friday if they get done early enough. But I know they appreciate your prayers. In the c- category of recovering from surgery, we were very grateful that Virginia Collier's surgery went well yesterday. She was able to have the valve replacement, um, and she came home today, and she will begin physical therapy um, soon, probably in a couple of weeks, she said. But Karen uh, said that her mom already today has noticed how much better she feels as a result of that surgery. So praise the Lord for it. Um, and uh, we're, we're just very grateful for uh, her being able to have this surgery. This is a much better surgery than she had just a couple months ago. Um, Shannon Benton is Tom and Gail Davis's daughter, and she had a sinus surgery today. Gail called late this afternoon. Her surgery went well. And she said for the first time in two years, her daughter is able to breathe through her nose uh, following this surgery. And so thank the Lord for that. Please continue praying for Shannon and then also for Peter Doyle. And this is the brother of Susan and Sharon. Do you have a... Oh. Okay. Sharon said that their brother Peter, uh, surgery went well, but he's got some complications that they're, um, they're going to check for maybe some cancer. So if you didn't hear her, please be in prayer for Peter. Is Peter a Christian? He is a Christian. Praise the Lord. Pray for him. This, uh, this shoulder surgery was pretty extensive, and it's, it's uh, one of several he's had on that same shoulder. And so pray that that all goes well here with these tests that are coming up. And then others here, too, also who are recovering from surgery. And we have these ladies listed as our homebound church members. Please pray for them, if you would. And then continue also praying for these families, those that are grieving. Uh, We want to continue praying for Barb Kelly and uh, her family at the homegoing of our brother Preston. And also praying for uh, Bev Hall uh, and her uh, her grief dealing with Frank's homegoing as well. We have our military personnel listed there. We're grateful for these men and women. I'd like you to continue praying for them, um, each of them, uh, in their various places of service and, and wherever, they might, wherever they might be as well. On the back of the bulletin, we've listed the families that are sent out of our church. Um, Terry and Barb Childers asking us to pray for the planning of the, of the 2024 training schedule for BIO. Brother Terry oversees that training, and also for the SMART classes. Continue praying for Jason and Kate Christensen, if you would. I spoke with Brother Jason for a bit today. Uh, Kate had a pretty rough day on Sunday into Monday morning, but has been doing much better since. The hospice nurses are responding real well as far as her care goes, and he said to thank his church family for your ongoing prayers for them and uh, what you you mean to his... uh, what you mean to his family. Johannes and Kittist are serving the Lord in the deaf ministry primarily in Zambia, but they also have uh, an Ethiopian hearing church that they've started in Zambia, so pray for them as well. Uh, I was speaking with Amber last night, and she said to be in prayer for her today 
she's going to be traveling to Papunga to see Knapp and Shirley Donato and also to see Carol Woodley. Y'all remember Carol uh, back in the Philippines, finally. Praise the Lord for that. God's restored her strength enough to be back in the Philippines. <clears throat> Amber's going to get to see her. Amber's also enrolling in a, uh, in a language school uh, where she's going to have training. I think she's got 10 sessions that she's um, purchasing initially. These are 10 three-hour sessions, and she'll be one-on-one with a teacher, and so pray for her in that. Uh, the reason she's only done 10 sessions is because uh, her her next visa application is not yet finalized, and so this uh, the 10 sessions will take her right up through that deadline. So also, while you're praying for Amber and her language and her traveling to Papanga, Please pray for her visa application, that it will go through as smoothly as, smoothly as it did the first time and that God would, continue to, uh, God would continue to grow her in the ministry there in the Philippines. Also for John and Nikki, there's, uh, there's a few surgeries there. Number one, pray for John as he heads to Pensacola to be part of their uh, missions conference there at the college. Also for sinus surgery he has coming up in November. And then he is making a trip to the Philippines in January. So keep those, uh, keep those in your prayer requests, if you would, for John and Nikki. And then for Burhanu and Wubit, uh, they had a bit of a trouble with uh, they had a bit of a trouble with a building inspector that was seeking some bribes. And so pray for uh, pray for them. They don't operate Burhanu and his ministry. They don't operate on bribes, which is very common in that part of the world. And um, pray that they'll be able to stand for what is right and at the same time continue to find favor in the eyes of the government officials who can stop, which they did stop the construction for a bit, but then they let it get going again. And and pray that that particular building inspector will be convicted to just allow them to continue as God wants them to. Um, And it's God's building, and so... um, if I were that gentleman, I'd stay out of the way. I'd just do what I could to cooperate. Um, and so let's pray that Burhanu and his son Sega would have the wisdom they need in dealing with all of those things. There at the bottom of the page, we have the berries listed in Brazil, the Bonikowskis, uh in Spain. They're actually in the States here now. They're going to be with us a week from Sunday. Uh, this is the missionary couple I had the privilege to visit last December um, and speak at their, at their uh, missionary team retreat. And then Norm and Patty Brockway, um, well, it, it should say Georgia down there. They serve the Lord, says Norman Patricia Brockway slash Brockway. Um, they serve the Lord in the Hispanic community down in Georgia, outside of Warner Robins. Uh, they have uh, Bible studies, and they serve in a church down there. One of their unique outreaches is that they go to the federal detention center for those that are going to be deported. Uh, most of which are being deported back to Hispanic-speaking, Mexic- uh, Spanish-speaking countries, rather, and they go in and they uh, mostly evangelism, and they're able to lead a lot of these folks to Christ. And so pray for Norman Patricia Brockway, if you would, uh, in, in their ministry there. And then if you would add to your prayer request on the front, um, Joyce Bassell is asking us to pray for her brother-in-law, Joe Bassell, uh, he is legally bl- blind. He had brain surgery today that is affecting um, his only, uh, he has one good optic nerve, and that brain, this mass is affecting that 
that optic nerve and his pituitary gland. So please pray for Joe Bassell, if you would. And then um, Joyce is going to be heading back down to Florida for the winter. Uh, she she uh, spends the nice weather up here with us, and then when it starts getting cold, she heads back down to Florida. So she's going to be here Sunday, and then she's got a couple of days traveling to Florida. So remember to say goodbye to Joyce on Sunday, but also be traveling for her, for her or be praying for her travel. She travels for two days. She breaks that up. She's traveling by herself, and we want to uh, we want to pray for the Lord to get her safely back to her home in South Florida. So let's take a moment and pray for these requests, and then we'll go to Judges chapter 16, and we'll continue uh, our study from last week, all right? Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we're glad to be in your house. We're thankful that you have invited us to come boldly before your throne to find grace to help, and Lord, we, we confess again when we consider so many of these requests, there's really nothing we can do other than come to you and make intercession for brothers and sisters in Christ that we love, some that we don't know, and certainly for all of these unsaved folks that are on this list that we would love to see come to you. And Lord, I've heard, I've heard Brother Wayne before pray that it would be great to come in here and find no names on that list because these people have come to you and they've accepted Christ. And Lord, we're asking you to do something that you want to do so much you sent your son to die. And so we're asking you again to be long-suffering with these unsaved people and to cross their paths with someone at work or someone at their door or a tract that they find and, or, Lord, some way that we can't even imagine, but get the gospel to them and let them, let them hear again the gospel of Jesus Christ so they can be saved. We certainly pray for all these folks that have cancer, dealing with different tumors, and uh, we're thinking of Tina and this tumor that keeps coming back in her brain. And we're thankful, Lord, for your watch care over her these last eight or nine years, nine years, I think Ruth said. And, Lord, she's been through a lot of surgery and a lot of chemotherapy, and we're asking that if you would to just stop the growth of this, this tumor, just stop it. Lord, or shrink it or take it away. And there's nothing hindering you from doing that other than your perfect will. And in all of these things, we're praying for your will to be accomplished. In the meantime, while she waits to see if it's growing and while she's taking these meds, we pray that Tina's heart would know your peace and the same with, with Clint and Ruth, that they would know that they have a Heavenly Father that's in complete control and has nothing in mind but good thoughts for his children and so, Lord, I pray that you would do your perfect will in her. Also for her surgery tomorrow, uh, whatever that oral surgery is, Lord, you know all the details. So I pray it's successful and that her healing would be complete as well. We continue to pray for Brenda Dockery and Bill Beck, and they've been ill for a while. And we ask, Lord, that you would um, help uh, both of them, uh, raise them up, be with Bill's procedure this weekend, and I pray it goes well. We pray for Brent Clay, who's also having this heart cath on Friday. And, Lord, I don't know all that's involved with him. I don't even know if he's saved, but you do. And so I pray that you would work uh, through the doctors to bring about healing in his body according to your will. Thank you for what you're doing in Caleb Whaley. And, Lord, the healing that we're seeing and the progress he's making, and I imagine it's slower than he would like, but, Lord, it's good that he's in uh, the hospital he's in and receiving the therapy he is 
and I pray that you would continue to watch over him and help his family to be patient uh, during this long recovery. And then, Lord, I pray for Maddie, and I'm thankful for her testimony for you, uh, for the love that Mark and Kanitha have for you, and I pray, God, that your hand would be on that family tomorrow as they travel, Friday as they meet these doctors and start talking about what's going on, and, and if she has to have tests Friday, I pray that the results are clear so the doctors would have understanding what to do. But in all of this, Lord, I pray that you would protect their testimony and give them opportunity where they can point people to Christ. Settle their hearts, even even tonight, Lord. Help them to rest well before their trip. Um, and we pray that your perfect will would be accomplished in her. Thank you for bringing Virginia through this surgery, and Shannon, and Peter. And Lord, I, I'm thankful for the, the intelligence and the abilities of these surgeons, but we trust our health and our lives to you. And so, Lord, we praise you for bringing each one of them through these surgeries. Please restore Virginia to full strength. And I know her heart, Karen's heart, is to be back here worshiping with their church family. And I pray you give them the ability to do that. Thank you for bringing Shannon through this. And I pray, uh, Lord, with her other health issues that that you would continue to to be with her. And for Peter, Lord, um, successful surgery on his shoulder. And then to find out he's being tested for these other issues he's facing. I pray that you would comfort his heart. And give him peace. Lord, true peace comes from you. And we know that in, in even the most upside-down circumstance, you have a peace that passes human understanding, and you're able to just increase our faith in you. So I pray that you would do that. And I pray for Susan and Sharon as they wait for these results, that their confidence and their trust would be in you. I'm thankful so much, Lord, for all of our missionary partners. I'm thankful for those that, that call this church home and the ones that we have this great relationship with, and we fellowship with some of them often. I pray for, for Amber as she embarks on this new language study and also this trip she's taking. I pray that she's safe, Lord, that you keep her safe while she travels, and bless her fellowship with good missionary friends. Continue to work in her. We pray for the construction of the EABM building going on in Addis, and Lord, I ask that you would... Watch over the men who are working on that uh, working on that building. Keep them safe. And may the building be one that reflects your glory. Thank you for your provision for it. I pray for this building inspector that's causing some problems for Burhanu. And Lord, as a church, uh, we're standing tonight and asking you to stop this man. Stop him in his wrong intent. Turn his heart. Save his soul. Help him to see Christ in Burhanu and Sega. And just bring... Bring all of this to a wonderful conclusion where you get glory for the, even the manner in which this building gets built. We're already looking forward to the training that's going to go on there, the discipleship that's going to happen and the materials that are going to be sent out. But even in the process of its building, Lord, we're trusting that you would get glory. So give Burhanu wisdom. We certainly pray for John and Nikki and are thankful for their ministry and pray that as he travels to Pensacola, that you'd give him good outreach for bio, that you would help the sinus surgery he's facing to be successful. Um, as 2024 approaches and the training for our missionaries, Lord, continues to be planned out, I pray that you'd give Brother Terry wisdom and uh, grow the ministry, the smart training ministry for uh, the missionaries who need it. 
We are certainly praying for the Christians and saying, Lord, we ask that your hand would be on them, that your grace would be found sufficient, and that you'd be merciful to our sister Kate. Bless them with your peace. Give them, along with their children, good fellowship in these days. May they talk about those things that will matter in eternity, and may you work in each of their hearts to accomplish the purpose you have for the trial that they're going through. I am so thankful, God, that you don't waste suffering. Help us not to. Um, May our church family stand beside and behind uh, this dear family and serve them, but especially lift them up in prayer and ask for your will to be done. We pray for our brother Bill Childress tonight, and we ask that your hand would be on him in van. Again, Lord, for your grace and your comfort, uh, help their faith to stay strong. Bill is praying that he has opportunity, even as he prepares for heaven, to witness to people. I pray, Lord, that you'd grant him that prayer and that he would be able to share Christ with people as they come to see him. Lord, you've given us opportunity in these days to have a Christian witness among people that may never darken the doors of this church. So help us to live like our Savior. We continue to pray for Israel We ask, Lord, that you would give them victory, protect them from evil people in and out of their country. Help our leaders to stay strong and true to our commitment to the nation. And, Lord, we pray that um, you would give them the victory and use this, Lord, for an opportunity for them to even turn more to you and to your son. I pray that Christians that are in Israel would have opportunity to proclaim the truth of why things are happening that are happening in this in this region. Lord, bless our time together tonight, not just in this class, but in our sign language class with our teenagers and with our children. And we pray, Lord, that everything that we do would be honoring to you and that you would increase our understanding of your word so that we can change our lives to be more like Christ and less like ourselves. Uh, that's our goal, and that's your certainly your purpose for us is to be like Jesus. So do that through your word and through your Holy Spirit tonight, we pray in your name. Amen. Judges chapter 16. uh, Last week we started this, and this is um, a series that I've entitled Wasted Potential. When I think of Samson's life and what he could have done for Christ, you can't help but think that God had bigger plans for him. Uh, But he wasted his potential. I think of the impact that he could have had. He had great impact. I think it could have been much greater. Wasted potential. We don't want to do that. You and I have, you and I have opportunities that, that we're not going to get back, perhaps. Things come our way. And God opens a door that may not open again. And so don't waste those opportunities. Samson did that again and again and again. And this, this encounter that he has with Delilah, this ongoing relationship with her is really the last great story in his life. The next next story in his life is the last one, and it's his death by suicide. And so we're looking at this this, uh, lesson. Last week we started it, Lord willing, tonight we finish it. I call it the stories of Samson and Delilah, and that comes from three different aspects of their relationship. Last week I told you there's just a story, first of all, of love. Samson loved Delilah. Delilah loved money. That's how it went last week. Um, There's no indication. The Bible says clearly that Samson loved Delilah. 
the first time it said that about him and a woman. But also, from what she's willing to do to get 5,500 pieces of silver, it's obvious that while he loved a woman, she loved wealth. Never says that Delilah loved him. And she proves it by her actions. Theirs is a story of love. Theirs is a story of lies. He lied to her. She lied to him. It was a wonderful relationship. Can't you tell? Samson's lies, I I reminded you, were senseless. Because all he was doing really was toying with sin. And we looked at that last week. How dangerous it is to toy with sin. Uh, The Old Testament, the Pentateuch in particular, tells us that our sins will find us out. It's dangerous to do that. Play with fire, you're guaranteed to get burned. Well, that's all Samson was doing. His lies were senseless because he was toying with sin. Hers were sinister because her lies were intended to destroy him. His lies were never intended to destroy her. He was just just messing around. He was just playing around. But her lies had the intention of bringing about Samson's destruction, and ultimately they do. That's exactly what happens. So he played with fire, she being the fire, and he really he really got burned. So last time we looked at their story of love, their story of lies. Tonight we're going to wrap up, starting around verse number 15, 14 or 15, and we're going to look at theirs is a story of loss. Theirs is a story of loss. Look at, well, let's go back up to verse 4. I mentioned to you last week that these verses begin the end of Samson's life, verses 4, 5, and 6. It says there, it came to pass afterward that he loved a woman in the valley of Sorek, whose name was Delilah. And the lords of the Philistines came up unto her and said unto her, entice him. And see wherein his great strength lieth, and by what means we may prevail against him, that we may bind him to afflict him. And we will give thee, every one of us, eleven hundred pieces of silver. And Delilah said to Samson, Tell me, I pray thee, wherein thy great strength lieth, and wherewith thou mightest be bound to afflict thee. I pointed out to you last week, give it to Delilah. She wasn't lying in that one. I mean, she was being pretty forthright, wasn't she? Tell me what it would take for someone to be able to tie you up so you couldn't do anything, and then they could just torture, they could just torture you to death. What would it take? That part of her thing wasn't lying. She wasn't being, she wasn't being deceitful there. And that, uh, that verse back in the Proverbs that talks about a man chasing an immoral woman in Proverbs chapter 7, where it says he doesn't realize it's for his life, Samson is the epitome of that verse. He just follows her down this path to destruction. So tonight, theirs is a story of loss. Look down now, if you would, verse number, let's start at verse number uh, 15. Remember, he's lied to her three times about how to get, how he can get weakened, how he can be captured. She said unto him, how canst thou say I love thee? When thine heart is not with me, thou hast mocked me these three times and hast not told me wherein thy great strength lieth. And it came to pass when she pressed him daily with her words and urged him so that his soul was vexed unto death, that he told her all his heart 
and said unto her, There hath not come a razor upon mine head. For I have been a Nazarite unto God from my mother's womb. If I be shaven, then my strength will go from me, and I shall become weak and be like any other man. And when Delilah saw that he had told her all his heart, she sent and called for the lords of the Philistines, saying, Come up this once, for he hath showed me all his heart. Then the lords of the Philistines came up unto her and brought money in their hand. Now they didn't turn it over yet, but they had a pretty good idea this was going to be it. I'd like you to see theirs is a story of loss, of loss. There's a market research company called Mintel, and they do, uh, I think Mintel has to do with market intelligence. So they do all kinds of surveys and things like that. They found out that in 2022, the United States spent $10 billion on hair care products. Can you imagine that? $10 billion. One country last year, ours, one year, $10 billion. Back in 2017, uh, Daily Mail did a survey of 2,000 women talking about hair care. You see where we're going this, right? Samson, Samson and his hair. They surveyed 2,000 women, and this is what they came up with. I hope you, you, may have, you may have different numbers, ladies. The average woman spends $80 a month on hair care, meaning if she lives an average lifespan, that equals $55,000 on hair care. That's incredible, if that's true. I imagine it is. I don't know where they did that. And then I found this most humorous. 50, when they conducted this survey in June 2017 of 2,000 women, married women, by the way. Did I say that at the beginning? They were married women? Okay, 2,000 married women. 54% of them said that in the previous month, May 2017, they were madder at their hair than they were their husband. I thought that was... I thought, boy, that had to be something then. They really got ticked off at that husband or that that heir. That's amazing that that kind, of, that kind of money and time gets spent on people's hair. If anyone in the world should have been taking care of their hair, it was Samson. If anyone should have paid attention to what needed to be done, it was this guy. Because he had this Nazarite vow that's described in Numbers chapter 6. And not only, it didn't just have to do with his hair, but this was a big one, apparently. One of the things was, from the time he's born till the time he dies, he's never to cut his hair. Never. Not trim. I don't know what... I don't think, I don't think Absalom had anything on Samson. Do you? Remember Absalom, David's son? He had a lot of hair. The Bible says he'd go every year and weigh his hair. Some of you wouldn't even move the scale, would it? Let's just say it. There's not enough there way. I, I, I can't imagine how much hair it would take that I had to think I have to weigh that hair. I was in Zambia a few years ago with uh, Brother John and I were in Zambia, and we went, uh, we were at a gas station, we were filling up, and there was this, there was this woman there, uh, a young Zambian woman, and she had the thickest hair I have ever seen. It if somebody could have weighed their hair, I think it would have been her. It was down to the 
to the bottom of her back and thick locks of hair. It was amazing. And I said, that girl has beautiful hair. And Johannes just started laughing and laughing and laughing. And he said, it's not even hers. And I said, how do you know that? He said, because she's a Zambian. And Zambian women's hair don't grow that long. Zambian women, their hair grows very close to their head. That's not even her hair. It was hilarious. But she had hair long enough to weigh. I can't imagine how long Samson's hair would have been having never cut it. But that was part of the vow he had to take. His mother was told that she was to observe Nazarite vow even while she was carrying him. She was to drink no strong drink. She was not to eat either grapes or raisins, dried grapes. None of it. He was to be a Nazarite from the womb. There are other Nazarites in the Bible that were Nazarites temporarily, on and off. The Nazarite vow wasn't necessarily a lifelong vow. But for this man, it was by order of God. And one of the things was he was not to cut his hair. God had allowed Samson to keep his his strength even though he had broken almost every other part of the vow. The Nazarite vow said, thou shalt touch no dead body. He did that when he touched that dead lion. And when he took the clothes off of those 30 Philistines that he killed to pay his gambling debt when we first met him. He was not to drink, he was not to drink wine, and yet he attended wine, wine feasts. He'd broken all these other parts of the vow but his strength remained, suggesting that God made his hair the key to his superhuman strength. Because he, he touched that dead lion, yet he was still able to carry the gates of that city 38 miles to Hebron. So it seems like the long hair was the key for his strength. He wasn't to cut it. Well, in verses 16 through 20... Over this period of time, and we don't know how long verse number uh, 16 really describes. It just says that she pressed him daily about his secret. I don't know how long that was, but it must have been some severe nagging because it says at the end of verse 16, so that his soul was vexed unto death. I just find all kinds of humor in there. There are proverbs that we can turn to to talk about that particular phrase. He is sick and tired of this discussion. You married couples know exactly what that's about. You beat a dead horse. You you talk about this thing and, and either she keeps bringing it up or he keeps bringing it up and this thing keeps coming up day after day, week after week. And Samson was just tired of it. And finally, she wears him down and he said, look, if my hair gets cut, I'm going to be like every other man. He said, my hair's never been cut. And he was so sincere, even though he lied to her three times, he was so sincere. She said, I know that he's told me all his heart. You've told me all your heart. She goes to the Philistines. She said, bring your money. He's given it up. Finally, he's wore down. And this is what what she says in verse number, uh, where was it? Back back when they... they, um, when they brought the, in verse number five, when they brought the proposition to her, they used the word, do you see that word in verse number five? The word afflict. They used the word afflict. That's the first time. 
And then in verse number 19, it says, She made him to sleep upon her knees, and she called for a man, and she caused him to shave off the seven locks on his head, and she began to afflict him. And his strength went from him. That word, afflict. Do you know what that word means? I, for a long time, I, I would preach or teach this particular passage, and I would just say, she just shook him, woke him up. That's not what it all means. Do you know what that word means in our language today? It means to humiliate him by way of insult. She woke him up by insulting him. That's what that word afflict means. To humiliate by way of insulting. And he flies into action like it's going to take off. But the Bible says that his strength went from him. This thing was over. He had defeated literally thousands of Philistines, but he's taken down by one Philistine woman. His besetting, his besetting sin. And verse 19 says his strength went from him. Theirs is a story of loss. Let's talk very briefly about her loss, Delilah's losses, and then we'll talk about Samson's. Here's the first thing about Delilah. Her losses were eventual. Her losses were eventual because from an earthly perspective, she didn't lose anything, did she? In fact, she gets, in, she gets instant wealth. Historians debate that that amount of 5,000, 5, there were five lords of the Philistines. All five of them said, if you give us your husband's secret so we can get him, each of us will give you 1,100 pieces of silver. And debate, the debate is that that amount is somewhere between half a million and $850,000 in today's market. I mean, she got a truckload of money. So from a human perspective, she really didn't lose anything. But from an eternal perspective, she lost everything. Here's, here's the thing. She was a sinner when she met Samson. And she was still a sinner apparently when she gave him up. Samson could have been a man of God. He could have influenced her. He could have been a Jew who showed this Gentile the light of Jehovah, the true God, because the Philistines were a bunch of idol-worshiping pagans. And she could have come to know him, but because of his wasted potential, she never got to know the true God. Nothing in Scripture, nothing in Scripture illustrates that she comes to the knowledge of Jehovah. So we assume that Delilah died having gained, can we put it like Mark 8 does? Having gained the whole world, but lost her soul. She may have left a great inheritance to her children or grandchildren or her nieces or nephews or whoever she wanted to. But she didn't have anything in Christ. Her losses were eventual. They were not immediate. Eventually, she lost everything. She put sins pleasures above her, her trust in the true God. The pleasures of sin, listen, the, here's the truth. The pleasures of sin are real. They are real. They exist. There is pleasure in sin, but you have to complete the verse, don't you, for a season. That season might be your whole life. But because your life and my life is like a vapor that appeareth for a little time and then vanishes away, it's just a short season. My, my, let's see, my great uncle lived to be 103 years old. My dad's uncle, yeah, 103. That's a long time. But that's a vapor in the light of eternity. 
So the pleasures of sin may last a person's whole life. But in the end, she loses her own soul. Her losses were eventual. Samson's losses, though, were immediate. She lost nothing at first. He lost everything, and he lost it right now, didn't he? Two different types of losses. He lost, first of all, he lost physically. In verse number 21, well, let's read 20 and 21. His hair is cut. He's getting woke up. And she said, the Philistines be upon thee, Samson. And he awoke out of his sleep and said, I will go out of, uh, I will go out as at other times before and shake myself. And he wished not that the Lord had departed from him. But the Philistines took him and put out his eyes and brought him down to Gaza, Gaza, and bound him with fetters of brass. And he did grind in the prison house. Let's stop right there in verse number 20, 21. He lost physically, physically. There are three things that he lost in, in his physical life. First, he lost his freedom. It says they took him and they bound him with fetters of brass. There's no more coming and going as he wants to. He said, I'm going to go out like I did before. No, you're not. He lost his freedom. Second, he lost his vision. The Bible says that the Philistine put out his eyes. You know why they did that? I think one reason, blinding him made it easier to control him. Even if he didn't have his strength, if he's blind, if he gets his strength back, he still can't can't see what's going on. They blinded him. And then third, he lost his freedom, he lost his vision, he lost his dignity. The Bible says he did grind in the prison house. The first time he comes to Gaza, he comes for pleasure. That's up in verse number one. Now he comes as a prisoner. And he's grinding in the house. That that grinding work, that was a work that they reserved for slaves. They put him in a grinding house. He's grinding corn into meal or whatever he's grinding. He's grinding, doing the work of slaves. The Philistines just had every intent to humiliate this guy every way they could. He had killed so many of their brothers. And their intent was to take everything from him. And I I just pause for a moment And ask you to look at those three things that he lost. He lost his freedom. He lost his vision. He lost his dignity. And I would say that sin does that to every one of us every time we give into it. It takes away our freedom and it will enslave us either in habits or in beliefs that leave us without hope of deliverance. Sin steals our freedom. Sin blinds us. It blinds us in one of two ways. Either it will make us think we did anything wrong. We didn't do anything wrong. Or it blinds us to where we think that our sin has no consequence. It also humiliates us. Have you ever found sin to be humiliated? Have you ever found yourself doing something you'd never thought you'd do or saying something you never thought you'd say when you were younger? I'd never do that. Sin takes me to the place where I will humiliate myself. This is what sin looks like. It's not very pretty, is it? But physically, this is where Samson is at. He lost physically his freedom, his vision, his dignity. So think of his condition now. Here it is. A life that could have been productive and useful to God instead becomes a proverb on the dangers of sin. Can you imagine how the story of Samson could have ended? And I wish his story had ended like Elijah's story, don't you? 
but it doesn't. Every time now that we talk about Samson, we're thinking to ourselves of what not to do in our fellowship and our relationship with God. His life has become a proverb to us on the dangers of sin. It is so important that we recognize the ruin that sin will bring. And yet, how often do I find myself running back to it? Just like Samson. I can't kick Samson in the shins. Because he's like me and he's like you. We, we battle this flesh. We battle sin. Samson lost physically, but he also lost next. He lost spiritually. As long as he obeyed God concerning his hair, he was fine, wasn't he? But when he gave Delilah control of his hair, he lost, he lost a lot, and it cost him God's power. It says in verse number 19, his strength went from him. It says at the end of verse 20, he wished not that the Lord was departed from him. He lost spiritually. What does that entail? What does it entail when he loses? This is a, this is a costly haircut here, isn't it? Somebody said it's the world's most expensive haircut. First of all, he lost his fellowship with God. It says there in verse number 20, the Lord was departed from him. He lost his fellowship with God. Now, I, I, want, to, I want to pause here and, and point out this was not a loss of his relationship with God. It's a loss of his fellowship with God. Because later in this chapter, in verse number 28, he's going to make a request to God, and God's going to give him the, uh, an answer to that. He didn't lose his fellowship, or his relationship here. He lost his fellowship. And when he lost his fellowship with God, it cost him. His hair was, uh, was the visible symbol of his commitment to God. That's why the Nazarite wasn't to cut his hair. In Israel, when you saw a man in, in Samson's condition with his long hair, you knew he's a Nazarite. It was the visible symbol of his commitment to God. He had disregarded most of the vows, as I said a little bit ago. He touched a dead body. He drank wine. He put himself in vineyards. All of those things put him in places that made him easy. It made it easy for him to sin. But he kept his strength. But when he got his hair cut, it's like he crossed God's final line. And God says, that was it. And now God has departed from him. That was, a, that was an outside show that his love for Delilah was greater than his love for God. He gave up what God told him to keep. Samson's power, and I want to emphasize this, Samson's power was not derived from his hair, but from his fellowship with God. His hair symbolized that fellowship. The strength wasn't in his hair. The strength was from God and his fellowship with him. And that hair was the symbol of that fellowship. And when he got his hair cut, it cost him... It cost him his distinctiveness as a Nazarite. He gave up that distinction between him and all other Jews. The other Jews weren't Nazarites. He was. He gave up that distinctiveness that marked him as God's man, and he broke his fellowship with God. So in verse number 20, God's spirit left him. And when God's spirit left, God's power went with him. That is a high cost to pay. He lost his distinctiveness. That is a caution to us Christians. 
if you and I want to be distinct, if we want God's power in our lives, then we are to be distinct, different, separated from this world. There ought to be a difference. I'm not talking about a legalistic definition of Christianity. I'm just saying that the way I live and the way I talk and the things I give my passion to and the thing I give my resources to and where I exert my energy, those things ought to be different than that of the world. There's got to be something that marks me differently than an unsaved person. I'm, I'm to be living my life, and you're to be living your life, in light of eternity. Paul's going to say a thousand years later to the Corinthian church, for we must all appear at the judgment seat of Christ. I'm to live every day with that in mind. If I do that, and if you do that, there will be a distinctiveness to us. Our, our interests won't look like the world's. Now Samson just looked like everybody else. He lost his distinctiveness and he lost the power that God had given to him. Listen, guard your fellowship. Guard your fellowship with God. Keep it fresh. Maintain it. Don't be mechanical in it. Guard your fellowship with God. He traded his fellowship with God for his relationship with with Delilah. Cut my hair, I'll be like every other man. He was exactly right. He lost his distinctiveness. Christians hold on to that. There's nothing wrong with being different than the world. I, I take issue with pastors who from the pulpit have to look and talk like the world. I, I, just, I just do. If that's the case, if the only way to reach people is to be like them, then how do I reach a cocaine addict? How do I reach someone who's addicted to heroin and fentanyl? Do I have to become a heroin user? That kind of logic makes no sense. There is to be a distinctiveness in you and in me, Christian. Samson, by his own words, he just became like every other man. Our relationship with God is secure in Jesus Christ, it says in John 10, 28. But our fellowship is fragile. Your relationship and my relationship with God can't lose it. Eternal security. Once saved, always saved. Eternal life, everlasting life. Won't lose it. But our fellowship is fragile. It has some qualifiers. And one of those things is he wants our obedience. And when we choose our sinful ways more than we do the ways of righteousness, he won't leave us or forsake us, but he will remove his power from us. He lost his fellowship with God. He lost his spiritual discernment. In verse number 20, I think, I think the saddest part of that in verse number 20 is he had no idea that God left. Isn't that sad? Every time I read that story, doesn't that, doesn't that sadden your heart? Every time I read it, he wist not that the Lord was departed from him. How strong was sin's grip on his life that he didn't know God's power was gone? He didn't know the difference between operating in the flesh and operating in the power of God. How strong was sin's grip in his heart? He just presumed on God's presence. He presumed on God's fellowship because he says, I'm going to go out as before. Uh, Nothing has changed. I presume God is still with me. I presume I still have my strength. I will go out at other times. He was wrong. 
He was not going out as other times. His spiritual discernment was gone. He had come, he, he had become so accustomed to, to operating in his own strength, in the flesh, that he didn't even know that God's power was gone from him. He didn't know what it was to open the scriptures and read with the assistance of the Holy Spirit, helping him understand all truth. You remember what Jesus said, when the comforter comes, he'll guide you in all truth. We need preaching and teaching. We do. We need good preachers and we need good Christian authors. But what we need more than any of that is the Holy Spirit's work in us, showing us what the Bible says. Samson had no idea what it was like anymore to open the scriptures and read with the help of the Holy Spirit. I, I will just go out as before. I think I left this on your worksheet. Fewer things are sadder than a Christian claiming to be acting according to God's will when in reality God is not at all involved in what they are doing. Samson, I'm going to go out as before. When that happens, what we do is we are going through the motions of serving the Lord, but without his presence, without his power, and what we do is done in the power of the flesh. And most of the time when the word iniquity is used in the Bible, it's referring to doing good things in the power of the flesh. That's iniquitous. Do you remember Jesus' words? He said to those people who said, we've cast out devils in your name, we've done all of these things, what did he call them? Depart from ye, ye that work iniquity. They were doing the right things, but God was not at all involved. Samson did a lot of right things, but God wasn't involved. He has, he has lost his spiritual discernment. He's lost his fellowship with God, and now he's lost his spiritual discernment. And the question comes up, how could Samson not know? Right? When he woke up, how could he not know? I mean, with all that hair, you'd you'd think he knew when he got up. My head doesn't feel quite as heavy. How did he not know God had departed from him? Do you remember what we said a moment ago that sin will do? It will blind you to its consequences. And he's he's walking proof of that. Sin makes us think we're all right. Sin makes us think we're okay. He had no idea that the Spirit of God had left him. God's people, God's people will even come to the place where they'll, they won't say this outright, but this is how they act. They'll, they'll say that God is wrong. Now, they won't use those words. They'll use words and ideology like this. The Bible is just, the Bible is out of date on that issue. Or that was really a cultural command. Sin blinds us to itself and to its consequences. Samuel had no idea. Sin had blinded him and he had no idea God has left. I'll say this and then we'll move on because he's, he's lost a lot more than just these two things. Because of sin, many Christians have a dangerous lack of discernment 
They have a distorted recognition of the Holy Spirit's work in both believers as individuals and collectively in churches. Because of sin, many Christians cannot discern between doctrinally sound teaching or false teaching. They can't discern between biblical truth and hot air. Because of sin, our ability to recognize God, his presence, and his power is hindered. That's what we learned from Samson right here. He didn't know God's presence was now gone. He didn't know God's power was now gone. I will go out as before. He lost his fellowship with God. He lost his spiritual discernment. He lost his ministry. To use Paul's phraseology, Samson was put on a shelf. He was put on a shelf. He was no longer used as a judge in Israel. Now he's a slave to the Philistines, a blind, humiliated slave to the Philistines. He's no longer a fit vessel. Paul Paul talks about a vessel fit for the master's use. Samson's not that anymore. He lost his ministry. Paul said in in 1 Corinthians 9.27, his great fear, but I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest that by any means when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. That word castaway means something that is unfit or that fails the test. It was the Greek word that described coins that were tested to be pure metal or not, and they weren't, so they were discarded. If it was supposed to be a silver coin, it was tested and found, it's not, it's not pure silver, that's silver-covered brass. That's not real silver. I got discarded. That's not a gold coin. It's, it's a brass covered in gold. It's not solid gold. Discard that. Cast it away. Paul's fear was that he would become worthless in the ministry. And that's where Samson is. He's lost his ministry here. How do you avoid that? Well, Paul said a couple of things. First, he said, I keep under my body. Keep under, one word in the original language. That This is, this is very graphic. The word keep under in that language means to strike the place under the eye until it's black and blue. The picture is that of a fighter, a boxer, trying to knock out his opponent. Paul said, I'm trying to knock out my flesh. Now, he wasn't, talk, he wasn't talking about self-flagellation where you abuse your body, but he's drawing the picture. I'll do whatever I can to, to defeat my flesh. I don't want my flesh mastering me. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, I want to master my flesh. So I keep under it. I will, I will knock it out. You see a heavyweight boxer, once he gets, I used to love to watch heavyweight boxing. And once a heavyweight boxer gets somebody on the ropes, they just won't quit. If they think they got a chance, forget that 12-round, 15-round decision. We're going to knock this boy out. And they just start going at it. And, and that, that's the picture Paul is drawing here. It's a graphic picture. When he said, I keep under my body, I want to knock my flesh out. I don't want my flesh to disqualify me. So I keep under my body. I keep it in check. He said, he uses the word subjection. I keep under my body and bring it into enslavement. Paul sought to rule his flesh by surrendering to the Holy Spirit. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, you present your bodies a living sacrifice unto God. Subjection through surrender. He didn't want to lose his ministry. He's not going to be disqualified. Paul's fear is a good fear for us to have. I never 
want to lose my usefulness to the Lord. You never want to lose your usefulness to God. He lost his ministry. He lost spiritual discernment. lost fellowship with God. The last one here, he lost his testimony. Lost his testimony. Do you remember you watch those old movies when... Uh, when the old circuses would come to town, they were mostly hokey. You know, over here's a tent with a bearded woman, and over here's got a six-fingered man or whatever it was. But they always had that one tent, world's strongest man. And he'd be in there, and he'd be lifting his barbells or whatever. Samson literally was the world's strongest man. He had that testimony in Israel. He had that testimony among the Philistines. Look at the effort they went to to get rid of one Jew. They are looking for this one guy. On more than one occasion, they've singled him out. He's the world's strongest man. And now where is he? He's imprisoned. He's blind. And he's doing the work of the slave. And and all of these men are watching and mocking him. I want you to consider something here. Have you ever considered that God's name was humiliated alongside Samson? In their pagan minds, if they defeat Israel, they've defeated Israel's God. And they saw a defeat of Samson as a defeat of Israel because he was their judge. He was their leader. And they had him doing, a slave, doing slaves' work. Blind. In laughing at Samson, in verse number 25, they laughed at God. Victory over Samson was seen as a victory over his God. So, failing in our flesh... Being ensnared by Satan's traps, choosing sin over righteousness, like Samson, will bring a reproach to the name of Jesus Christ. Guard your testimony. Guard it. What does Proverbs chapter 22 and verse number 1 say? A good name is rather to be chosen, not earned. Not paid for. A good name is rather to be chosen. Choose to maintain, to guard, to keep a good testimony. He lost his testimony. God so closely identifies with his people that our shame in the world's eyes brings a shame on him. You don't think so. Think of some big name preacher who blew it and was all over the news. And then listen to the to the uh, discussions in your workplace about those Christians. I, I knew those, that was Christians. Yeah, yeah, there. Why is that? Because our testimony brings a reproach on God if we let it slide. Notice in the scripture how the Christian's conduct is tied to God's name. I listed one of those for you. David's example after his sin with Bathsheba. Do you remember that? David's, David's confession and, and Nathan said, God's heard you. God's forgiven you. 2 Samuel 12, 14. How be it? Because by this deed thou hast given great occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme, the child that is born unto thee shall surely die. The reason that child died was not murder. The reason that child died was not adultery. It wasn't the covering up of sin. It's that they gave the, it's that David's sin gave occasion to the enemy of the Lord to blaspheme God. That, that occurs all over the scripture. In Titus chapter 2, it talks about the, the godly women living 
in such a way that the word of God be not blasphemed. Again, in 1 Timothy 5.14, the conduct of godly women so that we give none occasion to the adversary to speak reproachfully. In 1 Timothy 6.1, maintaining a godly example as an employee. Listen, listen to this. It doesn't get a whole lot more practical than this. Keeping a godly testimony as an employee that the name of God and his doctrine be not blasphemed. What we, what we do matters. That's the lesson to learn. What we do matters. Our actions. You're going to tell people you're, 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 going to tell people you're a Christian. They expect you to be a Christian. They expect me to be a Christian. Resolve to do nothing that brings an evil reflection against the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. Few things are more shameful or more harmful to the cause of Christ than a Christian's damaged testimony. Do you know how hard it is to get your testimony back once you lose it? It can be done, but you are you are going uphill with your hands and feet tied. It's just hard to get that testimony back. So important that we live according to the scriptures. Jesus said our light is to shine. So, So what do we do with this? I better hurry up. What do we do with this tragic story? What do we do with Samson's tragic story? Your little blank there isn't that long, is it? You know you're not going to be writing a sentence here. There's not three points. What do we do with Samson's tragic story up to this point? It's a one-word answer. Learn. Learn. His life is a warning to me. It's a warning to you. So learn from it. Learn to deal with sin and temptation immediately. Learn to identify your spiritual weaknesses and and admit you have to rely on God for victory in them. John 15, 5, you remember Jesus saying, For without me ye can do nothing. 1 John 1, 9 invites us to confess our sins, find him faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us. 1 Corinthians 10, 13, all of these are verses we know. But we know them so well that our familiarity sometimes keeps us from putting them into practice. 1 Corinthians 10.13 says, No temptation has taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful. You know what Samson's going to find out at the very end of his life? As up and down and as left and right as he has been, God was faithful every time. There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that ye are able, but will, with the temptation, also make a way of escape, that ye may be able to bear it. This is Samson's story. We're coming close, next week, Lord willing, to the last chapter of Samson's story. So, so let's ask ourselves this question tonight before we, we stand and we're closed in prayer here. Ask yourself this. We're, we're doing Samson's story. Ask yourself this. How is your story being written right now? 
And the follow-up question to that is, how's your story going to end? Ask yourself those questions. What does my story look like that I'm writing as I live? Psalm chapter 90 says, we spend our lives as a tale that is told, a story. How is your story being written? How is mine being written? How's it going to end? I'm not talking about how you die. That goes back to our Sunday night sermon. That's one of the secrets. You don't know how you're going to die. How will it end by the way you're choosing to live? How will mine end by the way I'm choosing to live? Samson's story is finished, but as long as we're alive, we, we're writing this story. And it's, it's being written in light of our obedience or disobedience every day. How's the story going to end? You know the end of Samson's story. We're going to get to it next week. It's tragic. I get it, don't you? I mean, Samson killed more people, more Philistines at the end of his life than he did through all of his life. That one act. Do you really think that was God's best for Samson? How is your story being written? How's your story going to end? If you're not walking in obedience to Christ in all things, then you, you can affect the end of your story. I just don't want to go to the judgment seat of Christ like it talks about in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. I don't want to go to the judgment seat of Christ with a bad ending to my story, whatever that is. So, so learn from Samson. Let's stand, all right? Father, we thank you for this night. Thank you again for Samson's story. We pray that we would learn from it. Help us to make those changes in our life. To battle temptation. To choose righteousness instead of sin. To identify those things that beset us. And Lord, then rely on you to give us victory over them. Thank you for our church. And thank you for our our assembling tonight together. And I pray for these families as they head home. Help each one of us to keep this in our hearts. And to be challenged by Samson's life. I fully believe I'll meet him one day in heaven. Lord, while, while his life here may not have been uh, exemplary, I will meet him one day as a perfected saint of God. And Lord, he's going to meet this forgiven sinner one day as a perfected saint of God. But while we're still here, help us to live our lives in such a way that when we see you, we won't be ashamed. We pray in your name. Amen. God bless you, church. It's good to see you tonight.